It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Tour Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for some more college football preview content. We've done our conference previews. We've done just some regular shows. Today, it's back to a regular episode of the Aaron Torres Pod, but we're talking all things college football as we head into week zero and obviously week one next week. Here's what you need to know about today's show and what we will discuss. We're going to open something a little fun. I am going to give you the teams that I believe are the most underrated and overrated going into the year. Go ahead, take out your notepad, write them all down, so that when I'm dead wrong later on in the year, you guys and girls can make fun of me. From there, a quick break, come back with some other stories from the last couple days, Greg Sankey with some very interesting comments about the future of the college football playoff. Jim Harbaugh, we get some details, three-game suspension. I tell you the impact that I think it'll have. And then finally, did you see the big recruiting news? A player who just finished his high school freshman year committed in football. I got some thoughts, even if uh, I'm not going to be breaking down film of a 2026 prospect. So fun show, busy show, obviously a couple announcements before one, if you have not started listening to the college football betting show over under win total podcast for all of the major conferences, we have done the sec East sec West, big 10 East, big 10 West pac 12 and big 12 was dropped this week. Also, we'll do an ACC preview before this show. And that's really it. Game week is here Friday. We will preview Some of the games in week zero won't go too crazy on that. That's about it. I'll be watching that Swamp Kings documentary. I'm not sure I'll get through all four episodes before the next episode. So I don't want to do the pre the the reaction show like we did for Manzo. Anyway, I'm blabbing too much conversation, too much chirpy, chirpy, chirp Torres. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the topic of the day. Topic of the day. I just told you it's game week, college football. We are here, baby. Week zero starts this weekend. And from there, it is officially go time in college football. And so what I want to do is over the next few minutes, I'm going to go ahead and give you my most 
overrated and underrated teams in college football coming into the year. It's that time of year we're just kind of trying to get creative with some of the preview content, and I got a lot of thoughts on a lot of teams. I know we haven't talked a ton of college football with all the realignment stuff, with hoops going late into the summer, but I promise you, I've been doing my homework, been doing my studying. I got a lot of thoughts. Let's start. You know, I'm not usually a glasses half empty kind of guy, but in this case, I want to just rip off the Band-Aid. I want to get to the most overrated teams in college football coming into the year. One of them might surprise you. If you've listened to this show, a couple others might not. And I want to start with the team that I believe is probably the most overrated coming into the year relative to the preseason polls, and that is the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I'm not going to do this. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. I'm not going to do the Jerry Maguire, do what y'all think I'm going to do. This isn't a like, Ryan Day sucks. Ryan Day stinks. If he loses to Michigan again, Ryan Day. That's not what I'm going to do. Ryan Day is a great play caller. Ryan Day is a great quarterback developer. And Ryan Day is still, what is he, 46 and 6 or something like that as a head coach? This isn't an anti-Ryan Day conversation. But I do believe that this specific Ohio State's, let me let me backtrack. I do this isn't an anti-Ryan Day conversation, but I do believe this specific Ohio State team's weaknesses are going to directly coincide with the, the strengths of the teams that they are going to have to play and the good teams they are going to have to beat to reach their ultimate goal of winning a national championship. So what are Ohio State's problems coming into the year? One haven't figured out who the quarterback is. And I know what everyone's going to say, oh, Torres, he's developed quarterbacks before. And you're a thousand percent right. Nobody knew how good CJ Stroud was going to be two years ago. He goes to, you know, wins a ton of games, went to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, all that good stuff. But at the same time, they don't have a quarterback. And whether it ends up being Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, and the early indications are that it will be Devin Brown, not Kyle McCord, who most expected to get the job. Here's the thing. Look at who they have to play, who they're competing against, where they have to play, and the limitations of this specific team. If you read reports about this team, the biggest concern outside quarterback is probably the offensive line. So that right there is a little bit of a red flag because at the end of the day, what is the best thing that you can do for a young quarterback. It is run the football and take pressure off that young quarterback. Good news for Ohio State, the early part of the schedule, not terrible. They open at Indiana in Big Ten play. That is, by the way, I've said it a few times, the first ever Big Ten on CBS game. Then they have a couple kind of buy games, whatever. But week four, it's go time. They go to Notre Dame. And we've talked about Notre Dame on this show but remember, they have Sam Hartman at quarterback, six-year six senior from originally Wake Forest, 77 touchdown passes over the last two years. Beyond that, you look at the schedule. Play at Notre Dame in week four. You survive that. Don't laugh when I say what's next. You play at Purdue. Last time Ohio State played at Purdue, they lost. You know they have struggled there historically. I think it's something – I heard this stat the other day. I couldn't believe it. I think Ohio State is one in three overall in its last four games at Purdue. 
And why that one is important is it's not only that Ohio State struggles at Purdue, it's that look at where it falls on the schedule. It falls the Purdue game a week before they have to play Penn State at home. So you have what is ultimately a trap game, a place you haven't had success, then the next week you welcome in Penn State. And then the week after that is the big one that I don't think enough people are talking about. You go to Wisconsin in a night game. It's already announced as a night game. You're going to play Wisconsin under the lights in Madison. Luke Fickle, Wisconsin, remember, also veteran quarterback. Tanner Mordecai comes from SMU, is another sixth-year senior. And then if you survive all that, you still got to go to Michigan to end the year. And so when I look at Ohio State, think about this. They are going to be starting a quarterback who has not started a single game in major college football. Of their four toughest games, even if even if Devin Brown's good, and I get it, he's got Marvin Harrison, he's got a Mecca Ibuki, he's got star-wide receivers. Even if he's good, playing behind a rebuilt offensive line, three of the four toughest games on the schedule are on the road. And in two of those games, he's going to be going up against 60 year quarterbacks, Sam Hartman from Notre Dame, Tanner Mordecai from Wisconsin, and a third-year guy in J.J. McCarthy on the road at Michigan. And so I just look at this Ohio State thing. This isn't a Ryan Day thing. It's not a bash Ohio State thing. It is a, they have a very tough schedule with a young quarterback, a rebuilding offensive line. I'm officially worried about Ohio State. Listen, I'll give you my playoff picks next week. I'm just going to tell you right now. I think a best case scenario for Ohio State is you go 10 and 2. And I think depending on if things go the wrong way, you could go 9 and 3. And I'll tell you what, that happens. Then the conversations about Ryan Day start. Not ready to go there yet, but I am concerned. Let's keep it going with my number two most overrated team. And this one, if you've listened to this show, it should not be a spread. It's the Texas Longhorns. And again, I'm not going to do the whole, oh, Texas, I guess they're not back. Like, that's corny. That's cliche. We get it. You've heard it before. It's not that funny or creative. With Texas, though, my concern is what I have told you from the beginning. I've said, look, in any level of football, let me, let me, let me just put any level. High school, Pop Warner, college, pro. Do you trust the coach? Do you trust the quarterback? In a perfect world, you want to trust at least one, right? Like even Ohio State, I just criticized him. I still trust Ryan Day to have his guys ready to go. I trust Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. I trust uh, you look across college football. I trust, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I don't even know. I can't even think of anybody else. I trust uh, whatever. You get the point. Do you trust the coach? Do you trust the quarterback? I don't really trust either in the case of Texas. Texas, I've told you before, Steve Sarkeesian, I'm beating a dead horse with this stat, has never won more than eight regular season games. This is now his 10th year as a major college head coach. He didn't start at Eastern Washington or Sam Houston State or wherever. Started at the University of Washington, then went to USC and is now at Texas year 10 has never won more than eight games. And I get it. Guys evolve. Guys get better. I also get that this is the best team that he will ever have. But at some point, you got to prove it to be Sark. It's not as though he hasn't had good enough talent previously. So I'm not sure that I buy Sark. And I'm not sure that I buy Quinn Ewers. And listen, I get it. I get that he got hurt last year. It sucked. We were all watching that game. He was balling out against Alabama. At the same time, 
Everybody saw him against Bama. Everybody saw him against Oklahoma. Do you remember what he did the rest of the year? I feel like I'm the only one that knows that that, that saw this. Quinn Ewers, 56% completion percentage, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions. And if you want to tell me it's about injuries, well, guess what? I'll just give you an example. Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, he got hurt too. He threw for 25 touchdowns, better completion percentage, more yardage, same amount of interceptions, and he got hurt too. So don't tell me it was just the injuries. Could Quinn Ewers be much better? Of course, and I almost expect him to be. But at the same time, I can't get behind Texas as being this team that's going to win the Big 12 and going to make the playoff. I don't believe they're going to Tuscaloosa and winning there, okay? That's one. Two, even in the Big 12, that schedule is kind of tough. They do play, uh, They do play. obviously, Oklahoma on a neutral. Oklahoma is going to be improved. We'll discuss them. They do play Kansas State at home, which is ranked in the top 15 to start the year. I thought this was interesting about the schedule. They play at Baylor, at TCU, and at Houston, which is now part of the Big 12. Why is that important? Three long-time in-state rivals dating back to the Southwest Conference days. You don't think those teams are going to be fired up to play Texas in their home venues? You think Texas is going 3-0 at TCU, at Houston, at Baylor? If they do, then I'll be dead wrong on Sark, and I'll be dead wrong on Quinn Ewers. Just not sure that I buy it. Finally, number three, I'll try to be quick because I want to be a glasses-half-full guy and get to the positive stuff. Number three is the Washington Huskies. And one, you know, it's unfortunate that that earlier, uh, as I'm recording here, late Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon, their starting court, uh, their, their leading rusher, Cam Davis, went down with an injury. Out for the year, all that. Why do I bring it up? That's important. But beyond that, with Washington, I've said it before. They just kind of feel like the Internet's team. It just feels like everybody on the Internet loves Washington. Nobody can say enough nice things about Washington. I'm not sold. 11 wins last year, but even in that 11-win season, had as bad of a loss as anybody. They lost to Arizona State after Arizona State had fired Herm Edwards. This year, the schedule is is, is much tougher because I think the Pac-12 is better. They have to go to USC. They have to play Oregon at home. They have to play Utah at home. Oh, by the way, I think even like a Michigan State flying across country, that game is not going to be easy in front of 70,000, 80,000 fans in East Lansing. The other thing, Michael Penix. Listen, it's a great story. Sixth-year quarterback, was banged up, had multiple injuries at Indiana. But did you hear what I just said? Multiple injuries at Indiana, and he was a guy. And I know. His best season in Indiana came with a guy named Kalen DeBoer as his offensive coordinator. But at the same time, this was a guy that prior to last season completed 65% of his passes at Washington, 53% the year before, 56% the year before that. And I know he was in and out of the lineup with injuries, but 18 total touchdowns the previous two years, 31 last year. So can he have two back-to-back like Heisman caliber seasons? I'm just not sure. Washington is my number three most overrated team. Really quickly, let's get to my most underrated teams. I started in the Big Ten with Ohio State as overrated. Now I want to talk the underrated, and I want to start with the Penn State Nittany Lions. And listen, I know people are going to say, Torres, how can they be underrated top 10? Blah, blah, blah. This now. Here's what, here's what you need to know. One, 10th most odds in the Betfred Sportsbook to make the playoff, okay? Two, 
Ohio State and Michigan are about plus 105 or you know plus 105 plus 110 to win the Big 10. Penn State is plus 500. So you got to bet five times as much money on Michigan to win the Big 10 as you do Penn State to make the same amount of money. But in terms of this team, I just like them they're, they're veteran across the board. Two really good running backs, Katron Allen, Nicholas Singleton about 2000 yards combined a year ago. Um beyond those two, Olu Fashinu Offensive tackle is going to be a day one NFL guy next year. The defense is elite. They got a kid named Abdul Carter, who is an all-American waiting to happen. Not to be cliche, but like literally the next great Penn State linebacker. Chop Robinson has emerged on the edge. Former five-star kid started his career at Maryland. Defensive backs are always good. And so I look at that team. Run the ball. Play defense. Quarterback, Drew Allaire. We'll see how good he is. But remember, two years ago, this was the number one rated quarterback coming out of high school. We spent all this time talking about Connor Wegman at Texas A&M. All this time, Ty Simpson at Alabama, is he going to win that job? Cade Klubnick at uh, Clemson, is he going to win that job? Well, he's he's going to win that job, but you get the point. Drew Allaire was rated ahead of all of them. Drew Allaire, however you say his name, I trip over it all the time. He was rated ahead of all of them. And if you have a talented enough quarterback, it doesn't matter that he's young. Did it matter that Trevor Lawrence was young when he started at Clemson? No, he won a national championship. Justin Fields basically didn't play as a true freshman at Georgia, goes to Ohio State, wins a Big Ten title year one. I believe this Penn State team, with the schedule that they have, no Wisconsin, Iowa at home, toughest Big Ten game out of conference, or toughest non-Big Ten out of conference game is West Virginia at home. West Virginia is terrible. This Penn State team is going to win a lot of games. I could see them making their first ever college football playoff this year. Let's stay with the same theme. I gave you an overrated Big Ten team, overrated or underrated Big Ten team. Let's go back to the Big 12. Told you I thought Texas was overrated. Well, I actually think Oklahoma is underrated. And it's funny because this time last year, if you listen to this show, you know darn well that I was all aboard the Venables Express. Oh, you know, the defense is going to be so much better and so much tougher, and they're going to offense is going to be the same, and blah, blah, blah. And they went six and seven, and the defense was terrible. They had the second worst uh, 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 total. They gave up the second most points of any team in the Big 12 last year, which is kind of an insane stat when you think about it. Gave up 30 points per game. I guess it was eighth out of 10 Big 10 teams. And then on top of that, total defense gave up 461 yards. Only Kansas was worse. So the, the question then becomes, Thoris, how can you be so excited about this team after the, the, the effort that they had last year? Six and seven overall, really bad. Well, it was interesting because as I was doing my prep, something stood out. So I mentioned Dylan Gabriel. He was really good last year as their quarterback. He threw for 3,100 yards, 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. They went six and seven. But if you look at their losses, the two worst losses on the schedule, were to TCU in a game that Dylan Gabriel got hurt and missed most of it, and then Texas where Dylan Gabriel did not play at all. In the games that Dylan Gabriel played and was healthy, yes, they still went 6-5 and five and lost a bunch of games. Here were the final scores of those games. though: Lost to Kansas State 41-34, to lost to Baylor 38-35, lost to West Virginia 23-20, lost to Texas Tech 51 to 48 in overtime and lost their bowl game 35 to 32 to Florida State. 
Did you notice something in common with all of those games? It was that in the games that Dylan Gabriel played, they did have five losses. All were by a touchdown or less. Four were by a a field goal. That is kind of an insane stat if you think about it. Four games lost by a field goal. So the defense doesn't need to be significantly better with the returning quarterback and all the skill position around it. It just needs to be a little bit better, and this team has a chance to be a lot better as a team. So because of it, you look at Oklahoma. They have a pretty manageable out-of-conference schedule. Remember, they were supposed to play Georgia. That game was canceled. Arkansas State, SMU at Tulsa. The other thing is, in terms of the, the conference schedule, they don't play Kansas State. They get TCU at home and a lot of close losses. They just need the defense to be a little bit better. They make a big jump. I like Oklahoma to be significantly improved, go from like six and seven to nine and three, 10 and two. Now, listen, for Oklahoma fans, that might not be good enough, but I think they're a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Finally, and this is a team I've talked about a lot, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. I, I think Kentucky has a chance to be really good. I think, and, and and by the way, and I've seen a lot of this is because because I said this on Twitter that I thought they had a chance to be really good. Oh, you guys overrate Kentucky all the time. I know that I didn't rate or overrate Kentucky because I know a lot of you are Kentucky fans who listen to this show. And I know that you remember that last year I was criticizing Will Levis. And you can agree with me. You can disagree with me. What you can't deny, I was critical of Will Levis at this time last year. Why I like Kentucky, Tevin Leary is really good. Devin Leary, their, their transfer quarterback from NC State. Now, he's got to stay healthy. But remember, two years ago when he was healthy, 35 touchdowns, five interceptions, and we've been over this. This was a guy that almost went pro two years ago, decides to come back last year to improve his draft stock, ends up getting hurt, and he ends up transferring. And so he's gone. He reunite, or he, he goes to Kentucky to play for Liam Cohen, who came back from the NFL. Remember, two years ago when Kentucky won 10 games, Liam Cohen was the offensive coordinator. And the thing, and I've said it all offseason, people said, oh, remember during the draft process, Will Levis doesn't have NFL receivers to throw to. Yeah, he does. They were just young. Barry and Brown is really good. And by the way, Kentucky fans, yes, I know. I called him Barry and Browning on the last show. I apologize. Forgive me. Barry and Brown is a future NFL guy, four-star guy who had offers from everywhere, top 50, 60 player in his high school class. Dane Key is going to play in the NFL. So you have good wide receivers. The offensive line should be greatly improved through the portal, and the defense has a chance to be really good. Now, the schedule, it is not easy because you get a cross-division game against Alabama, but at the same time, you know, everything else is, is you know, you, a lot of those, those big toss-up games are at home. They play Missouri at home. They've had a lot of success against Missouri. Their first five overall, I think they could start 5-0. and oh. Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron at Vandy, Florida at home before you do have to go to Georgia in early uh, October. You get Tennessee at home, South Carolina, Louisville to end the year on the road, but you've had great success against those teams. I'm telling you, man, by the way, you know how I know Kentucky is good? They're over-under in July when I started doing the over-under win total picks for Betfred Sportsbook. Their over-under was six and a half. It is now seven and a half, which means that the the odds makers have kind of realized we might have screwed this one up. Let's change this around. Kentucky, my number three most underrated team in college football, three overrated Ohio State, Texas and Washington underrated are Penn State. Who is the second one? Oklahoma and Kentucky. 
Good first segment. Good first segment. So what I'll do, take a quick break. And when I come back, we are going to switch gears. We're going to talk some other news and notes in college football. Greg Sankey, some very interesting comments about the future of the college football playoff. Jim Harbaugh, that three-game suspension. I don't think you guys care that much. That's why we're burying it at the end. Little recruiting news. Quick break. Be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now... You know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the UK, over a thousand shops in the UK, and they have now come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of not only all things Aaron Torres Media, but the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred does. I've been telling you that for a year. We have sent listeners of the Aaron Torres pod to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. The Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games is rocking. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred, and here is what they are doing for you right now. How about this? Bet $50 on any game. Get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet 50 bucks on anything you want to bet on you automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get up to $200 in insurance for your first five weeks as a Betfred customer, totaling $1,111 in free bets. I've told you for a year, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. They're the only book that I bet with, and I want to thank Betfred for being our presenting sponsor. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, Three, count them, three topics that I want to wrap the show on, all college football related. I don't think any of them are big enough to do like the 12, 13-minute Torres standalone segment. So instead, what we're going to do is kind of rip through each of them, do four or five minutes on each, 
and get the heck out of here on a Wednesday. Want to start? Did you see what Greg Sankey said about the expanded college football playoff? Now, listen, to kind of contextualize this, okay? So, obviously, a lot has happened, not just in the last month, that impacts the future of college football, but really the last year and change, really two, two and a half years dating back to when Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12 for the SEC. Most notably, it was almost exactly one year ago that the presidents pushed through a 12-team playoff. And why I'm talking about it today is this, is because when the 12-team playoff was pushed through a year ago, the format that was eventually agreed upon to, I was actually okay with. 12 teams, and if you remember, six automatic bids. So in other words, you know, the the six highest ranked conference champions. So it's probably going to be the SEC champ, the Big Ten champ, and in most years, it'll be the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12 with one what we call now group of five team that's in. The problem is when that format was put into place, no one knew what was coming with the Pac-12. And since the Pac-12 has basically died, Shout out Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. I guess they're still part of the Pac-4. Since the Pac-12 has basically died, the next logical question was, do we have to revamp how we look at the college football playoff? Going forward, once the 12-team playoff starts, by the time it starts next year, there's only going to be four power conference teams or four power conferences, and essentially all of the power in college football will basically be in the Big Ten in the SEC. Texas, Oklahoma going to the SEC, Washington, Oregon, USC, and UCLA going to the Big Ten. And so I bring it up because it's been a topic of conversation over the last couple weeks, and it was actually addressed earlier this week by Greg Sankey, the most powerful man in college sports. He was talking to Chris Lowe from ESPN and had some very interesting comments about the future of the expanded college football playoff. By the way, how about that? The, the the future of it, it hasn't even started yet, and we're already changing it. But here is what Greg Sankey had to say about the future of the 12-team college football playoff to ESPN's Chris Lowe. He said, right now, you put it in bold letters that things are going to change, period. And we're all going to have to be prepared to deal with that change, period. He continued, the circumstances have changed, and we need to reconsider the format. I'm not convinced we need to reconsider the number of teams. And I've been clear that I would have been okay with an eight-team playoff with no conference champion access. That wasn't, if you will, politically tenable with the group. So as we continue to look at models, we came up with the six and six model. But again, the circumstances have changed in a meaningful way. And my inclination is we need to re-examine the current format. So that was Greg Sankey. By the way, shout out Greg Sankey. He always speaks in legalese. Forgive him. But basically what he was saying was exactly what I said. We don't need to rechange. We don't need to change the number. We don't need to change. uh, We don't need to change anything. But we do need to change the format of how we do the college football playoff. We started with the six and six model, but things have changed. We need to consider. Let me just say this. Listen, me and Greg Sankey have had our spats here on the Aaron Torres pod don't agree with everything that he has done here. But I will say, I do think on this one, he is right. Now, it really goes back, in my opinion, to when we first put in place that 12-team playoff a year ago. At the time, if you remember, so to be clear, 
I have never really been in favor of an expanded playoff beyond four. My argument is always that it's hard enough to find four teams that are good enough to compete for a championship. Now we're going to have 12. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun uh, event, but it's not going to be a championship event. And we aren't keeping teams out that are good enough to win the championship. And so I bring it up because I was never necessarily in favor of expanding the playoff. But once we got there, I will readily admit I did like the six and six model because what I said was if we just go to a 12 team playoff where the 12 highest ranked teams get in, guess what's going to happen? We are going to have a situation where we have four, five, six SEC teams, four, five Big Ten teams, and then maybe we get a team from here or a team from there. And so that was why I liked what Greg Sankey calls the six and six model. It allowed some of the conference champions out of the SEC and the Big Ten outside of those conferences to get into the playoff. And then also there's probably going to be at least one group of five, maybe two in some years. The Pac-12 would be represented. The Big 12 would be represented. And their conference champ would get in. But at the same time, I'll also readily admit that stuff has changed. And with the change specifically with the Pac-12, I kind of agree with Sankey on this one. Listen, we can go to 12. And I don't know if it's the 12 highest ranked teams. I don't know whether it's four auto bids, five auto bids, maybe even so at least, you know, a group of five team is considered, but we don't need six automatic bids going forward because ultimately, while you do want it to be fair and equitable, you also want to see the best teams. And at this point, when you're adding four top 25 caliber teams to the big 10 on top of Michigan, Penn state and Ohio state. And when you're adding two more really good programs, both ranked in the top 20 to start this season to the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma, guess what ends up happening? You're going to have a lot of really good teams, and even the third, fourth team in those leagues is going to be really good. And so now that these conferences are bloated, now that the Big Ten is at 18, the SEC is at 16, I'm willing to consider it more because, again, there is no Pac-12. Because, again, The Big 12 looks a lot different than it did a a year ago. The conference is better. They're at 16 now. They were at 10 a year ago. or Yeah, they were at 10 a year ago, 12 this year. They're going to be at 16 next year. So how do you factor in Utah being a really good program, coming in and playing with TCU, Kansas State, whatever? I actually like this. And lastly, what I would say, I do like what Greg Sankey said about staying at 12. If you go back to what he said, He said, I'm not convinced we need to reconsider the number of teams. And I've been clear that I would have been okay with an eight-team playoff. So basically what Greg Sankey said was, I was pushing for eight because I know my conference champ every year is good enough. And heck, I know in an eight-team playoff, I'm probably going to still get two or three teams in and probably have two or three teams good enough to win it. But what he said was, while I pushed for eight, we all agreed on 12 and we don't need to go beyond 12. It's fine the way that it is, and I do agree with Greg Sankey on that. You get beyond 12, and especially if we remove automatic bids, you're now talking about the fifth, sixth best team in the SEC getting in. You're now talking about the fifth, sixth best Big Ten team getting in. And I'll just be blunt. what What's even the point of playing the regular season at that point if 40% of the conference is going to get in? Just for fun, I went back and looked at who finished in the final uh, top, uh, uh, you know, the final poll last year around 15, 16, 17, you had Oregon, which lost two of its final three regular season games, Washington at home, Oregon state on the road. 
They finished 15th. So if we go to 16, Oregon's in. LSU finished 17th. Remember, that's a team that that lost to AM at the at the end of the regular season and then got destroyed by Georgia, understandably, in the SEC championship game. How about this? At number 19, you had South Carolina. At number 20, you had Texas both finishing the regular season eight and four. So I'm with Sankey. I like 12. I think it's time to reconsider. Let's not go beyond 12, though. We we don't need eight and four South Carolina getting into a college football playoff or nine and four LSU. Couple other topics I want to hit on really quick. Listen, you go back to Monday's show. What did I say on Monday's show? I said, I've been off for a week. We can talk about whatever you guys and girls want. And I was going to talk Jim Harbaugh on the show, but it felt like there was another shoe that was going to drop. And at this point in life, uh, one, the season starts this weekend, but then two, beyond that, I think people just don't really care that much about NCAA investigations. So I was like, I don't really want to talk about this weird limbo that Harbaugh is in with the NCA and Michigan and Harbaugh kind of lied and Michigan or, or the NCA is mad and Michigan. I was like, I don't really care. But we did get a final resolution over the last couple of days as on Monday, Michigan officially announced, listen, this is it. We are taking it upon ourselves to suspend Jim Harbaugh for three games. That's it. It's official. There's no more confusion. And for people who have kind of followed this but don't really know and what's the truth and what did I miss and all that good stuff, here's ultimately like kind of what you need to know about the whole Jim Harbaugh situation. Jim Harbaugh, we know, has been under NCAA investigation for uh, recruiting, you know, having kids on campus during COVID. Um, And, you know, listen, it's been a very weird back and forth. And this was part of the stuff that I missed while I was away on vacation. But basically, it's been uh, it's been presented publicly as they had a couple kids on campus during COVID, Harbaugh paid for some hamburgers, for some cheeseburgers. And basically the NCAA is trying to screw over Harbaugh uh, for, for, for buying a few free meals for kids. The NCAA comes out and publicly says, this is not about cheeseburgers, which was a weird thing to do. It could hurt their case going forward, but it also came at a time where Michigan and the NCAA were trying to figure out what is an appropriate suspension that we can both agree on. And so if you remember about two weeks ago, we talked about it on this show. uh, There was a report that Jim Harbaugh was going to get suspended four games. That was suggested by Michigan. And then it starts to come out again while I was gone. This was the, the part that we missed. That that was not going to be acceptable for the NCAA. They were pushing for six. Michigan's like, come on, that feels like a little bit much. And then then they were going to just continue the investigation and revisit in 2024. So that brings us full circle to Monday where Michigan officially announces three games. That's it. Final answer from us. We essentially believe that we are doing our part, suspending our coach a reasonable amount of time. And really, so when I look at just the suspension, and we'll talk about the impact here momentarily, um, when I look at the suspension, this is how I read the situation. I read the situation basically by Michigan saying, like, look, we tried to be be fair with you. We tried to be honest with you. We tried to go above and beyond by giving four games. You wanted more. This is getting ridiculous. Here's the bottom line. We're suspending them three this year. Right now, this second, the school is working with you on a resolution. Now, if you want to fight NCAA, well, guess what? You're going to hear from our lawyers. That's my perspective on it. Michigan acknowledging 
Jim Harbaugh did something wrong. But at the same time, it's like, look, at some point, we got to move on with this thing. We're trying to win football games here. We have our best team in a generation here at Michigan. We're trying to win a national championship this year. So that's my perception and perspective. And what I will say is I do think it could get ugly publicly if Jim Harbaugh is at Michigan beyond this season. And I think he's going to flirt with the NFL here in the offseason like he always does. But I bring it up because this, to me, is from Michigan Michigan's perspective, the end. Now, the question then becomes, and I think most of you probably know where I'm going with this, what does that mean for Michigan this season? Jim Harbaugh is officially suspended three games. In my opinion, I will just be blunt. I don't think it's a big deal at all. Okay. And it's not even necessarily for the reason that you think. Okay. The reason that, in my opinion, this isn't a big deal is two reasons. The first, it actually is what you think. Michigan's first three games are a joke. And I get it. They had a game scheduled with UCLA that ends up getting canceled. Their first three games, I've talked about them before. They're so bad. I know them by memory. They open with East Carolina. One of the Carolinas, but not one that we know of. There's no such thing as East Carolina, yet they have a football team. Uh, Then they play UNLV. Then they play Bowling Green. And then Jim Harbaugh will be back for the start of Big Ten play, which starts with a home game against Rutgers. So that's one. I think the players coach themselves. I think J.J. McCarthy could call his own plays. They probably win those three games. Here's the other reason why I just I don't think it's a big deal at all and why I think this specific Michigan team is uniquely built to handle the outside noise. It's because I think you can argue there isn't a team in college football that has dealt with more outside noise and just pushed it to the side quite like Michigan has over the last couple of years. And just think about it, right? Just think about everything this specific group of Michigan players has been through. Think about, remember two years ago? You should remember because we talked about it a lot on this show. Two years ago, Michigan, Hot seat year for Jim Harbaugh. They finished two and four the year before. He comes back, has to take the the, the contract reduction. Everybody's talking about, is is he going to get fired? Oh, what happens? They go 11 and one in the regular season, beat Ohio State for the first time in forever, win the Big Ten, go to the college football playoff. Then you remember what happened after that? The greatest season that Jim Harbaugh has had. What does he end up doing? Like two days after the playoff is over. His name starts being linked to all of these NFL jobs, the Chicago Bears, the Las Vegas Raiders. And then when those jobs don't work out, do you remember what happened at that point? He went and interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings on National Signing Day in February. And I remember talking about it on this show. I remember saying, I mean, when he didn't get the job, oh my, how could he walk in that locker room and look those guys in the eye? Slap myself on the wrist, slap myself on the face, shame on me. I actually thought that was going to impact the team, that he went and interviewed for another job on National Signing Day. I know, last year they went 12-0, 13-0, win a Big Ten championship, go to the college football playoff again. And so forgive me if I think this team is uniquely prepared to handle their coach not being there and uniquely prepared to handle distractions. Two off seasons ago. All those, the, all those rumors about the NFL. I didn't even mention this past offseason, the Carolina Panthers, the Denver Broncos. You go on and on down the list, Harbaugh's talking to all of them, and he comes back and everything's fine. And so I'm not that worried. I don't think it's that big of a deal. The other thing is this is just an insanely veteran group of guys. I was actually – I had the, the – when the Big Ten media day 
days happened a few weeks ago. I had it kind of on in the background on TV. I was blown away. I mean, these are grown men, 22, 23, 24 years old. They just know how to handle themselves. I forget everybody that was there. It was Blake Corm, the running back, and Mike Sandstrill, the, the, the converted wide receiver who's now a linebacker. Just grown men, adults, not too high, not too low. This team's going to be fine. I'm not worried about this Harbaugh thing at all. Finally, I do want to wrap with one last story, and this one will be quick because like every segment I've ever done, this one's getting a little long. Did you see the big recruiting news on Tuesday? That is where the top one of the top quarterbacks in all of high school football committed to the USC Trojans. Did you see this? Julian Lewis. How about this? The number one player in the class of 2026. 2026 committed to USC. So listen, I would love to wave the pom-poms and, and sing, you know, fight on to victory. But here's the thing. It's hard for me to get excited about a commitment for a player who just finished his freshman year. It's crazy. I like, like I was blown away. I saw the headline and I thought it was no big deal. Then I go to ESPN.com and they're talking about it. Then I go on to some of these websites and they're talking about it. I get that he's the number one. I get that he's a quarterback, number one player in the country. But class of 2026? We're really doing this? Listen, first off, by all accounts, I'm sure he's a great kid. And he seems like a heck of a player. Threw for 4,000 yards in the state of Georgia as a freshman last year. At the same time, I guess I would just say there's a long time between now and when he enrolls at USC uh, in the class of 20, you know, he'd be class like 2030 at that point. Uh, and I guess he would technically enroll probably in the winter of 2026. Think about it. That's three plus years from now. Think about how much has just changed in the last three years. Three years ago from today, Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma. USC was at the Big Ten. We had a four-team college football playoff. Uh, I can't even think of everything else that was going on back then. Three years from now, who knows? I, and the other thing is, I don't understand why a kid would commit that early. If you're good enough, if you can ball, Lincoln Riley is going to want you in a year and two years and three years. Same with Nick Saban. Same with Kirby Smart. Same with Lane Kiffin. Same with Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, I, I don't really get it. I mean, you, you know, you got plenty of time to figure this thing out. And so the reality is, I just, I could be wrong. I can't think of a very extensive track record of guys who have committed as high school freshmen and ended up seeing it through. Maybe there's a list out there that I'm not aware of. But I go through Caleb Williams committed to then Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma before his senior year. By the way, there were rumors he was going to go to LSU and then Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, left. That shows you how quickly this stuff changes. Arch Manning committed right before his senior year. You know, so it's hard for me to get super excited about this one. If, you, if you're a USC fan and you want to get fired up and you want to sing the fight song in the streets, by all means. But to me. This is just one that it's hard for me to get too excited about. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media 
at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That's all for today's show. I will be back on Friday and we got some games to preview. How about that? Notre Dame Navy and a couple other ones. It's all for today's show. Time for me to get out of here. Appreciate your guys and girls support. Be back on Friday. Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. You have fed unblock me, bro. Although I hear you can't block anybody on Twitter anymore. Gonna have to investigate that a little bit. I'll be back on uh, Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pod.